You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 340 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Seth Miller. Hey, Seth. How's it going? Um, I'm baking. Yeah. Slowly. <laughs> Actually, very quickly. Uh, it is unbelievably hot. <laughs> More of a roast than anything else. <laughs> I mean, it was, I was outside earlier. It was 116. So I'm, I'm done with it. I'm ready to move on. I've, we've had our fun. Uh, I don't want to be the next Dubai. <laughs> no. Uh, fun is what we're calling this, huh? I, uh, yeah, we got, we got up to feels like 110 in New Hampshire. Uh, 114, maybe something like that before I left town. So. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's terrible. I am happy to say, though, um, the views from the Newark Airport Marriott, if you get a high room, I'm on the seventh floor. Mm-hmm. Quality, quality uh, visuals watching the runways. Nice. And I, don't th- I don't think I've ever stayed there. This is my first time um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but also, um, yeah, it w- I'm impressed, but also the air conditioning works very well. <laughs> the most important part. These days, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, and you're in Newark for a very special reason. Um, so we're recording this before the embargo is lifted. But by the time our listeners hear this, the embargo will have been lifted. And uh, the, the reason you're there is because of a thanks, United Order. Yes, thanks to the magic of modern technology, we can do things like that. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, time travel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this we are, in fact, going to lead this week's episode and probably spend most of our time talking about this United Order. Uh, a couple weeks ago... We briefly discussed what we thought, you know, when this is back when I think Bloomberg had the original scoop on this and had some ideas about what it was going to be. And it has grown dramatically. It seems to continue growing. 270 planes. 270. Uh, Split between 50 MAX 8, 150 MAX 10, and 70 A321neo. And there's a whole lot of interesting about that. And these are all net new orders. Um so the original order book of like 180-ish other Maxin remains. Uh, United at this point now has 500 aircraft single aisle on order. Um, and it's, the order is interesting and the, the delivery timing questions. Are just, and I, where I'm struggling a little is how much of it is, are any of these options? And I don't think they are. I think these are all firm. Just some are firm with a questionable delivery timeline. Yeah. Right. They gave us 40 aircraft in 2020, 138 in 2020, excuse me, 2022 is 40, 2023 is 138, and then a lot more thereafter where the delivery timing starts to get flexible. But I, I mean, I'm, I've had the release in hand now for five hours and my mind is still somewhat blown. I mean, it's, it's a ton of aircraft. It's a ton of seats. Um, part of this is, I mean, they stated on the call, um, that the number of 50 seat single class airplanes, you know, that, that number is going to dwindle down, uh, to something like 50 total or a hundred total. 50 yeah, 50, yeah. They're trying to get rid of at least 200, which happens to be the number of CRJ 200s they have. And I know I would be a happy camper if they chose to just eliminate that fleet and keep the ERJs. Um, yep. That's what I, but who knows? Uh, it's, but, but this comes on the heels of that, right? So they're going to retire right, yeah, those. They're going to retire a bunch of those, right? So yeah, the 500 new single aisle planes gets offset by some 
removals. Um, it's that those call it 200 ish. And then there's another hundred or so mainline single aisles that are already flagged for retirement by 2026 when they hope that most of these planes have entered the fleet. And so that's the remaining 752 fleet, which is the legacy continental ones, which is what there's 43 of them or something like that, I think. And then they said, Probably some of the 319s and 320s and 73Gs that are getting, quote, long in the tooth. Uh, which I actually don't know what that metaphor is supposed to mean, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so those, some of the, a bunch of those are going away as well. Um, so, but yeah, it's the goal is to dramatically upgauge operations in Newark and San Francisco, where they are, if not truly slot restricted, at least effectively so. Um, and then also sort of the rest of the markets, right? I mean, the, my big question always remains, like, how do you deal with mar- the smaller markets that can't support se- even a 70-seater a couple mm-hmm. times a day, but you need the hub, but you still operate as a hub-and-spoke network? Um, and they seem to think it's going to be fine. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, they're really pushing the 50-seat CRJs, the 50-seat uh, CR7s, right? The, the 550? 50, yeah. Um, they're really pushing that, saying, you know, that's going to be used in Newark now more uh, for, I guess, some of those smaller markets. Yeah. But but So at least so at least in the 50-seat market, they can sell first class for the Onward International Connection. Yeah. and But, I mean, it raises the question for me, like places like Chicago or Houston, where you serve a lot of smaller markets, particularly, you know, in the Midwest or for out of Houston, you know, East West Texas, some of the, yeah. you know, uh, Southeast it's, it's almost all CRJs or ERJs. Um, and I guess, the, I guess they have the E-175s, right? And the E-170s. Yeah. Can, so they still, can, they, can those markets support 70 seaters? Yeah. And, and I would say probably, um, I think we're, I don't know. I, I, I think hmm, it's, it's interesting to me because I'm, I look at where they fly CR2s today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I kind of question, Okay, one, why are they flying a CR2 there? Because I would think there's more demand than that. And it's usually because of frequency. Like out of, out of Denver to a bunch of the uh, kind of random destinations in the Midwest, uh, they fly CR2s. And they do it three or four times a day. Um, yeah, and this comes back to – this comes back to it twice a day though and do a bigger plane. Yeah. I mean it comes back to the question we had on a show. I don't even know. It was like a couple months ago. We, we asked this question, right? Like do you drop frequencies uh, to increase uh, load factors on fewer flights? Um and it sounds like that's the way that United's going. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm generally surprised they didn't go for the A220. And not only did they not go for it, but I think it was Andrew Nacella said in this press briefing call, "We don't see a market for the 100 to 120 seat aircraft at United right now." Yeah, or something I, to that effect. I'm, I'm loosely quoting, but it's very my close. 10%. It's very close. Yeah. yeah, he was I, blunt. He was very direct. He wasn't. This is not me interpret, interpreting. He was that blunt. Yes, I, I don't. I don't. I don't understand that. I guess maybe. I mean, they have the numbers in front of them, so they clearly have more data than we do. Um, but other airlines are are going that way, um, and, and so I'm confused. I, maybe they just see, you know, their hubs being able to pull full A321s to certain markets. I, I which I don't understand. But okay. Or maybe yeah, they're, yeah. or maybe they're willing to put A319s and A320s on on markets that previously were uh, CR7s or E170s. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's also a couple of interesting things that they're doing just in the overall configuration, right? The Max 10 is going to be 20 first class seats, which is the same as the Max 9, and 64 uh, economy plus seats, which is an increase from the 48 on the Max 9. It's um, a lot. It's a lot of premium seats. They're saying by uh, by 2026, 
on average, 53 premium seats per departure, which is 75% more than in 2019. It is a huge play on a gamble towards premium being what the market is going to support. Yeah. What, right. Whether, I mean, and to an extent, right, Economy Plus is a easy premium to sell because if it doesn't sell, you just give it away. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was going to say is like, that's, that's kind of been their modus operandi, right? Is we'll oversell coach, regular coach and put people in premium economy for free. Right. Or economy plus uh, for free. Economy plus. Yeah. But at the same time, when you do that, like, when you start talking, you know, when he said – one of them said something on the call about sort of based on capacity and Casamex fuel and things like that with this, you know, new product being able – because they're adding so many seats and going and upgaging so much, they'll be able to sort of drop their chasm and be able to compete in every market with with every airline. And, like, your chasm's not going to be lower than Spirit. It's not going to be lower than Frontier yeah. even with, you know and – and especially not with that many E-plus seats, Right? Yeah, I, mean, I, I like E plus. I like getting it for free as my gold million mile or whatever. But like, who is you're not gonna if if people are really are shopping on price, they're just gonna buy the cheap seat and not buy the E plus either way. I feel like right. I mean, and if they are willing to buy that up, like big front seat is usually about the same price as an E plus upgrade. Yeah, I mean, it just it doesn't this doesn't follow logic, right? Of like lowering chasm, it just doesn't. Um, it, it lowers it some, but not as much as it could, I guess. And yeah, so yeah. Why do you not lower it more? And again, I benefit as a customer, so like, don't change your mind. But um, yeah, they're going to increase average seats on an airplane by thirty percent, by thirty seats in twenty twenty six. Yeah, which also increase by thirty seats or almost thirty percent implies that the existing average is right at about a hundred, which is depressingly low. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that is, I mean, that sort of goes back to the regional jet issue. I think they said on the call, roughly 30% of departures today are on a 50% regional jet, actually 50%, 50-seat regional jet. And they expect that number to drop to about 10% when those planes are retired, right? So that is a huge shift. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think people have underestimated how many ERJs they, they've had or, you know, regional jets they've had, 50-seat regional jets, and how yeah. heavily they're used um, throughout the hubs. Um, yeah. So I, I did not realize it was 300 plus planes and 30% of the operations. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, and they're doing it everywhere, right? San Francisco, LA has some, uh, Denver, definitely. Uh, yeah. and then up and down the East coast. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a wondering, right? Cause so you just talked about the max 10 with 20 seats in first. We had talked previously about the max 10 also being, and you'd broken the story, right? About the max 10 being the transcon replacement plane. Yeah. Um, and I'm, what they said on the call, it was interesting what he said on the call was, was someone asked about replacement of the 752s because this order replaces the 752s. They have now said that they expect the 752s to start retiring in 2023-ish, I think. Um, but he also said that the XLRs will replace them one-to-one for transatlantic operations, hmm. which is not surprising to me. I think that was sort of always the expectation of the XLRs. What I'm wondering, though, is does United still need slash want a single aisle premium heavy transcon PS. They don't call it that anymore. Uh, aircraft. Yeah. Right. And that was at one point what the early max 10 order was going to be, not these 150, but the other sort of right. The, the initial 50 or something. Some of those were supposed to be configured that way. Um, was the, you know, word on the street. I haven't gotten a straight answer on if that changes or not. Cause, cause what and would I don't be interesting? 
Well, what would be interesting to me? I mean, I think it's a question worth asking, you know, as you go to the press day and stuff. But what would be interesting to me is do they do they turn the XLRs into a hybrid model of we're going to use these on the, the thin routes across the Atlantic and then turn them kind of like we did with the PS planes uh, to do transcons? Um, well, certainly, which I see- that, that, right, the Continental 752 model was almost entirely that. Orlando and Tampa benefited greatly. Yeah. Well, and I'm, t- I'm talking about even like doing rotation, right? Where, yeah. Yeah. Where, where you send some down to Florida because they can, f- they can fill the, you know, that time up. Um, but then, you know, when you have down in your schedule, you just rotate these planes through to the West Coast as needed. Um, and you serve that transcom market. I mean, it makes sense because I don't think they can do that with the high J763s. I think the maintenance issues on those planes will cause them heartache. That's my two cents. That's my opinion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like here we have a new plane that we can reliably do these routes on versus a, a high J763 that we may have to yank every now and then. Um, they're going to have to have spares. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. Yeah. It, it, and, you know, to some extent, I, I certainly think it makes sense. Also, the high J763s are still going to have significant range that the XL, even the XLR won't. Yep. And you're going to want to use them on those longer routes where you where you can you know make a little more money uh, you know on on the J seat. So and I think it's, unlike I think also unlike JetBlue, um, United isn't going to want to put that many. Right, they're not going to want to put 24 premium seats on the XLR. Yeah, you think they'll keep it down to like I mean I could see them doing like I a think 20 so. seat or maybe 16. You know I I think for the that's a fair question right is you a also different from JetBlue United actually sells. Extra legroom, economy plus more. I guess JetBlue does that too, but it'll be interesting to see if United comes up with something that looks more like a premium economy product uh, on the seven five or XLRs. Now, um, I'm not sure really how you do that other than onboard service difference and not extra space, which is hard to really sell. But you know, I I, I do wonder about that, and I wonder right. It's like also with the economy plus cabin, the size it is, like that's a lot of. You know, if you, if you sort of keep those proportions, you end up with essentially a plane that's, you know, half premium. What does that look like on a XLR and how many seats do you really have available to sell? Yeah. And it's not that many. I mean, and as part of that, I mean, this, this raises a great question, right? As part of this, they're, they're talking about a new, ca- a new interior, a new cabin. Um, yes. did they go into detail? Cause I wasn't on the call for that piece, but did they go into detail about what this new cabin will be? Um, there's some pictures that I haven't downloaded yet. Um, and I've seen one. So, Speaking of sort of like lower chasm and lowering costs, they're putting audio video on demand in seat entertainment screens on every seat fleet wide. Hmm. They're retro and they're retrofitting the ones they're keeping. So the narrow that's bodies a, that's that a big aren't change. being retired. Yeah, the narrow bodies that aren't being retired are getting AFOD. Um, that's an, that's an that's about huge. face. Yeah. And that's an about face from, you know, people who have a history of pulling them off of airplanes at previous airlines. Although, although Scott Kirby on the call did say he's always been a fan of, of in seat. In-flight entertainment, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> such, a, such a fan of it that he used to line his office walls with all the TVs they pulled off at American. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I mean, yeah. what, else is, what, what else is coming, though? So we got AVOD. We've got, is it, are we getting new seats? I can't tell if, I mean, there will be a new, you know, the new planes obviously have new seats. I can't tell if they're retrofitting truly new seats into the old ones or not. Um, I didn't get mm. an answer on that or didn't see any detail on that. Um but, you know, big screen, it's the Panasonic Entertainment and Bluetooth pairing. I like that. So you can pair your Bluetooth headphones with the IFE screen? Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, and I have to confirm this uh, on Tuesday, so after this episode releases, but I think that is live on the Max 8 already. Really? 
So my understanding is that this event is basically to show off the Max 8. It's the first one was delivered straight to Newark rather than doing sort of induction work. And I think they got the full interior and everything installed at Boeing, at Renton, and it's ready to go so they can show it off. Otherwise, like, if you're just going to show me the outside of a plane, who cares? But we'll see. Fascinating. Um, Yeah, I think that's... I, it's well. Let's put it this way: If the system is installed on that plane, it's supposed to be there because this is what the new standard is. Do you have Bluetooth headphones with you? Uh, I have friends who do. <laughs> Good. I, I don't I'm fa- headphones. I I lose things too much, and so uh, I don't do that. Because I've I've stated it to other people um, that that my AirPods Pro are probably my favorite go to travel headphones. Yeah. Um, and that's not that's not like an Apple fanboy in me. I I genuinely think they're a great product because they have passive and active noise cancellation, um, and they're wireless and they're lightweight. And the only downside I, I have ever had is that I can't listen to the in flight entertainment via them, and yeah. I hate so, it. <laughs> I mean, so Bluetooth pairing has been a thing that all of the major IFE systems manufacturers have been talking about for years now, and it was always no, no, we know how to do it. We're going to do it. It'll it's going to fly. But welcome to airline world where it takes three years for anything to actually get rolled out. Mm-hmm. So we're now finally hitting that stride of rollouts, it seems. Um, right? Like, but like, it's basically an extra chip that they put in the, in the circuit board that controls the screen. And so Panasonic, who's doing the United system, um, seems to have that ready to go now and has definitely is one of the airline or one of the companies that's been talking about this, you know, at trade shows for years. What's going to be real interesting is seeing how well the pairing process actually works, right? And there's been a lot of questions about and demos that we have done at trade shows that have not ended the way the uh, vendor wanted them to, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, because you're trying to you're trying to pair, right? Like, if everyone let's just theorize, maybe even like three rows of people are trying to do this. Yeah, Bluetooth Bluetooth has a, a range of you know fifteen yeah. twenty feet in some cases, sometimes more depending on conditions. Um, it, it could get really bad. Like, I want to make sure that I'm pairing to my television, not the guy three seats up. Yeah, and, <laughs> so, it's, not, and, and it's not like you have, you know, a keypad that you can type in a pin code on your headphones. Yeah, so, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. it'll, it'll be real interesting to see how that goes. Um, you know, the vendors I've talked to about that sort of thing have talked about doing, like, they reduce the strength on the radio to reduce interference and other fun tricks like that. But... Um, you know, and put like metal shielding so that it's sort of a focused instead of being omnidirectional, it only goes one direction coming off the screen. So you know, you can't you can't pair forward; you can only pair behind you. Um, gotcha. Or things like that. So um, there are some bits like that that help, but yeah, it's going to be it'll be really interesting to find one of these that truly works at a level that is reasonable for real world airline operations. Yeah. Even just doing it on a uh, even doing it on a trade show floor in somewhat controlled circumstances hasn't done very well. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see how they've managed to pull it off. Shall we say? So with with Avon, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna see this plane with Avon on all these seats. Most of the time, these come with Bluetooth, uh, not Bluetooth, uh, USB uh, plugs. Yep. Uh, for devices, which is great. So people have plugs at their seat. Yep. Um, for the device, uh, if they're using their own device. Um, and United can get rid of the stupid, uh, streaming thing that they're using in their app, where they have to always make the announcement that you have to download the app before you get on the plane for some weird reason. And maybe it'll free up some of the bandwidth on the airplanes. <laughs> so I would expect that the onboard streaming remains. Oh, damn it. Um, for a variety of reasons. Basically, mostly because it's basically free once you've done everything else. Yeah. You've already licensed the content. You've already put the access point in the head-end server on the airplane. 
why not give people that flexibility to, if they want to watch on the tiny screen instead of the big screen, let them do that. Yeah. Um, I expect that the screen will still have USB-A uh, power on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're also going to have regular power outlets from, is what I gathered, reg- real power outlets uh, from uh, at every seat. So everybody gets power now, 110-volt power as well. Wow. So it, Every seat. Yeah, and I don't know if it'll be, you know, two plugs for three passengers, which is typical, um, and still counts that as every seat. But remember that for a while, United was only doing an exit row forward on some aircraft. Yep, yep. I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a huge improvement, right, From for that exact reason. I mean, you didn't want to get stuck behind the exit row on some of these planes that you're doing transcons, where you're yeah. doing six hours and with no power. Um, uh, yeah, so that's that's great. Yeah, it's and so I look at this and I think to myself, like, from a passenger experience perspective, this is kind of huge. Until they tell you it's 29-inch pitch or something and why? Except I don't even think that. I mean, mm-hmm. the, seat, the number of seats that they're describing on board doesn't seem to – certainly doesn't seem any worse than the existing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every seat on these aircraft has access to electrical power and USB charging ports. Wow. And provides the seatback experience with accessibility features for people with hearing and visual disabilities, which is something United has actually been amazingly uh, progressive on or aggressive on. Their, their IFE system and the, adapt- the adaptive stuff that they do is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, it's won many, many awards and also happens to be worth it. This is this is I mean this puts them in line or it puts them on par I would say with what Delta's offering in coach today right um, I think so. I think it's pro- you know based on statistics that are mostly made up I think it's probably a larger content selection mm-hmm. but what that content really right if it's like if the they're saying twenty eight hundred um, selections include but that includes audio playlists which actually is a big deal for United to bring back audio playlists. Yeah, because um, they they had a licensing issue, right? And uh, with Global Eagle, and yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that's another big deal. But yeah, they twenty hundred. You know, if you kind of each song is one, and then the playlist is another. Da, 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 it may not be that many movies, but it still seems like it's going to be a large selection, significantly larger than what even the wide bodies have today. The only the only way you could make me happier is if you told me that Channel Nine, which is United's, uh, you know, in flight listen to the cockpit chatter channel, was coming to these air- airplanes. That is not listed in the release, and I doubt it's happening. But it'll be fun to ask. It, I think I think it's one of those things where they should really consider it. I mean, I know pilots probably don't love it because they get listened to, but that, it's not like we can hear what they're saying in the cockpit. We can just hear their discussions with air traffic control. Uh, and it's a great feature. And I haven't had it turned on like the last six flights that I've been on with it. So, Yeah. Um, the, the other thing I'll throw out there is they've said they're going to be using the best uh, in-flight internet service on the market. Um, which are fastest or something like that. I have to believe that's code for they're going to retrofit everything with the Biasat system. Okay. Um, but they have not yet confirmed that to me. I, I hope that they do something. I mean, they, I will say United as a whole, their, their internet service is better than most of the others, especially those that use GoGo. Um, but I, I've still had issues myself and Ed, Ed, you know, Ed Pizzarello, who's been on the yeah. show. We've we've both had our share of, of issues. And for me, working on the plane is is important. Um, and I've run into it a number of times where it just doesn't work. So yeah. I didn't work on my flight down here today. And they announced 10 minutes into the 30-minute flight that they were going to reboot it. And it was going to take 15 minutes. So I just laughed. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like stuff like that. Like if you're not going to um, have it working, it – <laughs> yeah just improve that and we'll be better yeah so it but one of the interesting things is if if united does move everything to viasat um 
Delta is also in the process of moving about 500 planes over to Viasat. Pretty soon, Viasat is basically the in-flight internet service provider for, I don't know, 80% of the mainline planes flying over North America. Hmm. That's a, there's a risk there. And I know they're launching a new satellite early 2022 calendar year that's going to, you know, add massive capacity, yada, yada. It should, it should help balance some of these things out. But being able to deliver, especially around a hub, you know, when there's gate to gate service and you've got 20 or so active planes in the departure line, all trying to share limited bandwidth. Um, and people are, you know, annoyed that they're stuck in departure line and start watching a movie or whatever. There could be some interesting challenges there. Yeah. I mean, this does this I mean, jokingly, this will free up some bandwidth for GoGo. It's yeah. Delta, Delta and, and United. Well, but Delta's Wars. getting rid of theirs. Yeah. So I mean, that's who's, what, that's running, yeah, who's still running GoGo at that point? Like Alaska. Couple, <laughs> Alaska. Yep. Yeah, and some, and some American planes. Yeah. Uh, so maybe my experience on Alaska would be better. <laughs> uh, and Air Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Air Canada does run it. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, this is wild. Uh, it's just, it's a huge number. I just can't fathom the number of planes and it's going to be in the next five years that we get all these planes. Yeah. Well, I'm still not entirely sure how far out some of these deliveries go, but they are saying that, and there's other things like the retrofit project is 66% done by the end of 2023. So that's two and a half years mm-hmm. and 99% complete by summer 2025. Wow. And that's new overhead bins also, uh, LED lighting. Um, it's actually the other funny thing to me. They're claiming overhead bins will have sufficient capacity for every passenger to store a bag, which makes me want to ask, so does that mean you'll finally start allowing basic economy passengers to carry on a bag too? <laughs> um, you really don't want to get invited to any more events, do you? <laughs> no, I, they don't have to answer my questions. Okay. Oh, someone, someone, has to ask the, someone has to ask the fun questions, Steve. It's true. It's true. Uh, but this this does mean, right, like, one, that's one thing. But they, they also have always struggled. And most of the mainline carriers have struggled with, with space. Yeah. Uh, even on some of the newer planes, they've struggled with the new overhead bins where you, you're supposed to put the, the bag on its side. And it's just a part of it's a cultural problem. Um, and part of it is they, they don't enforce actual PAG rules. Like when they let the guy bring, you know, two full size guitars and wonder why, you know, two bins are full. Um, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. stuff like that, you know, yeah. anyway. Absolutely. No, it's, it's an interesting, right, it's all interesting, but this is, this is, it's a really, really aggressive, Passenger comfort plane. I, I agree with you. They are pushing towards uh, the world that Delta has held for the most part. Yeah, but it's uh, it's going to be an interesting play of you know, does this start to return premium yields to United? And that was you know, listening to the sort of introductory remarks on this deal after we got past the we're not going to talk about COVID and then talked about COVID for ten minutes part. Um, you know, United once again, Kirby really talked up the. The four coastal hubs and international connections. He called United America's flag carrier at one point in the call, um, notwithstanding the fact that American Airlines literally painted the, t- the flag on its tail. Um, he said, we want to be America's flag carrier. Mm-hmm. And we are, we're the most international. We have more international seats. We have more flatbeds. You know, all those lines that they've talked about over the years. But part of this plan is trying to attract more of that premium demand yield and connecting those passengers through the hubs. And then they would flip-flop and be like, and we need to update all of the operations at our, you know, middle America hubs, so Chicago, Dallas, Houston, and Denver, to get better connecting flow because those hubs mint money on those connecting connecting travelers. Yeah. Right? The small market to small market connections, and especially through those three hubs, 
um, is still very, very attractive and profitable not as compared to sort of the small market to small market on either of the coasts where you've got Breeze or Avello or Spirit or Frontier sort of cherry picking routes. Yeah. Where there's enough traffic to fill a full size plane. It's always, it's always interesting to me though, you know, touting Chicago, Denver, Houston, um, for these small market connections because they are the, probably the three worst airports impacted by weather in the network. Like, yeah, San Francisco goes to crap when there's a cloud over the bay, but it, you realize if I sneezed right now, I could start a ground delay program in Newark, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm saying, I'm saying, like in Chicago, when things go bad in Chicago, when there's a thunderstorm in Chicago, things go very badly very quickly, even for mainline jets. And the same in Denver, we saw, we've seen it already this summer a few times, and the same in Houston. When when there's yeah. any kind of major weather event in Houston, things just you you're going to misconnect. Sorry. And yeah, Dallas has had a few of them already this year. The most of the weather stayed for better or worse a little northwest. But yeah, you know, I, I when, when things go badly, it, it is worse for longer and has an extended impact. I'd say relative to the other. Yes, yeah, that's a good that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And no, I agree, and I completely agree with that. Um, but what, what are you going to do? That's where people need to connect. Still. <laughs> yeah. True. It's true. Uh, so I mean. But it seems like it's it's an un, unfocused set of priorities for United, right? Like they're saying, oh, we got to build up these four hubs. We want to be the flag carrier on the coasts. Uh, and then in, in the next breath, they're saying, but we also have to build up the mid-market stuff. Okay, so which which one of those is the priority? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is, is this a – there's, there's a lot of people. They can do two things at once. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to build up the hubs on the coast right now though, right, with COVID? Right. I mean, or am I- so, well, I think that, you know, Kirby has been bullish that there will be a business travel rebound. He has been bullish that, you know, on a lot of he's been very bearish on the impact initially and in the sort of recovery process. But and they, that it was going to be slower than most others predicted. But now he's getting bullish on things. Um, and so I can sort of understand that, that he's he sees a recovery and a rebound in international travel coming. I think, you know, by the time these planes start arriving and are ready to start feeding those hubs, right? Remember, the first it's only forty next year, which I say only forty. It's still a huge number, but it's only forty next year. The real load comes uh, in twenty twenty three when it's one hundred and thirty new planes, and that's also when I have to assume they'll start retiring out a bunch of the fifty seaters. Um, but you know, it, there there is a bit of time for this to happen. But I don't know. I just I keep thinking about the number of planes and the number of seats United is planning on adding. And even after accounting for uh, all the planes being retired mm. and everything else, I I just the, – the total capacity coming into the market, it's like adding a new Spirit Airlines. Yeah, yeah. Or a Frontier – or it's like a Spirit and a half or a Frontier and a half right now. Like, but Frontier is 109 planes. Spirit's about 135. United is going to be net new at least 200. Yeah. It's, and, it's, a, it's a new carrier. Yeah. Yeah. And United's not the only one doing it. There's a lot of capacity coming, right? So, I mean, Spirit and Frontier are, among others. Yep. Both of them have grand growth plans. Delta has plans. American has some new plans on order, I'm sure. I don't know how many. But, like, it, there, there's a lot going on here in terms of growth. And it's – someone's got to lose. Breeze has got 60 new A220s coming online. Maybe that's – there's your A220 order, Stephen. Let <laughs> Breeze start taking deliveries and realize they can't, you know, can't compete and fly them anywhere because United's got too many bigger planes and then just buys them out. How's that? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, get them on the cheap. I can see, but I, I, that's more the Delta playbook, though. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> uh, easier, easier integration. They've already got the type, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, I mean, this is, I mean, I'm sure we'll get some more details from you on your blog, uh, as you go to this event and start publishing things. Um, but I mean, is there any other big, big points that you wanted to touch on about the order? It's a lot of FN airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I keep coming back and looking at the number and I'm like, I, I remain dumbfounded and I know it's, there's some flexibility on delivery in 2024 and beyond. So fine. Um, by late 2020, this actually, there's actually one other thing that's sort of buried in the press release. A couple things about Newark, um, that are significant. Um, the, and you, you alluded to this earlier with the 550s, but it's not just that they're adding the 550s. United expects that by the end of this year, 100% of Newark departures will be on dual class aircraft. Wow. No more single, no more single cabin planes out of Newark, right? And this is finally catching up to what Delta and American have tried to do as well. Um, in terms of getting rid of their 50-seaters at their at LaGuardia and JFK. But that's big. Um, the other interesting thing, um, from 55% of departures will be main, were, were mainline in 2019, it will be 70% by 2026. Wow. And at the end of November 20, or at the beginning of November 2021, when the current FAA slot waiver period ends, Newark expects to resume its full schedule. Wow. United United expects to resume its full schedule out of Newark. Sorry, that was definitely not the right words. Um, which is really interesting because up until now, all of the airlines have aggressively lobbied for slot waivers to remain in place. And, uh, you know, A4A and all, all the groups have sort of held a pretty steady position on this. IATA has pushed for it as well. If you start getting, you know, the airlines that hold the slots... Say, actually, no, we're, we're good because, you know, right? If United's ready to start operating all of its flights, mm-hmm. it could stop supporting the waiver situation. That creates challenges for the other airlines that are benefiting from these waivers. Yeah. Goes back to slot controlled. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. So then, all, when, you know, and the slots matter again, uh, it gets, it could get real challenging. Yep. Yep. Um, for yep. some of this. Um, but, and, you know. You want to talk about? I think that's all for United, but we can talk about slots across the uh, across the way over here at JFK. Yeah, I so I you know this topic came up, um, and I, I just I threw it in the notes like, kind of last minute. But Alaska canceling LA JFK um, is is pretty big news, right? I think I think it's I think a lot of people have just said eh, whatever. Um, but it's it's Alaska giving up what was for Virgin America, uh, I would say flagship, flagship route. route. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's. And uh, they've just kind of conceded on it, right? Yeah, uh, and I, I'm I'm glad you added it because I was about to make us talk about it anyway. So I'm glad you're thinking that. <laughs> uh, and I saw it in the notes, and that's why I made the segue. But I was about to say we should talk about that too. Uh, it was it's super interesting that they are not giving up the slots. They're going to refocus their efforts on their core West Coast markets of San Diego, San Francisco, Portland, and Seattle, but not San Jose and not. Los Angeles and to basically concede defeat in the transcon LA market, you know, in a lot of ways makes sense. They had by far the worst premium product of anyone flying the route and were basically trying to compete on costs because they had the most economy seats on their plane. Mm-hmm. And they figured, you know, with those extra 30 to 50 seats per plane compared to everybody else, they could, you know, sell things a little cheaper, but still make more money. And, you know, for roughly the same trip cost or lower trip costs because of, you know, aircraft size and all these other things. So, and trying to make money in a premium market on the economy seats seems like a crazy choice, right? They've said that they're going to increase increase frequencies on their Newark LA route to sort of mitigate the, the transcon loss. But that's still a market that's got United now with newer premium planes coming 
and JetBlue with its mint and soon to be newer mint product. I don't know if the new mint will ever fly Newark, but that competing against both of those in the transcon market with the same product that didn't work at all out of JFK or didn't work very well out of JFK seems a strange move to me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, I think the whole, I, th- I think Alaska struggles right with, with identity uh, on transcons um, out of, out of LA and San Francisco in particular. Um, I think saying that they're going to focus on their, 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 bigger cities or more important cities on the West Coast, I think, is to undercut what they actually operate to L.A., right? They operate a lot of flights to L.A. Yeah. Um, it's So it's kind of like saying, well, we don't operate that many. Uh, but but you do, though, right? It's 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 a hub for everybody. Um, you just can't compete against uh, against the others on the transcons. I mean, you got Delta, JetBlue, now United, um, and American all flying L.A. JFK. Um, and your product is subpar compared to all of them. Um, so it, I, I think some people were saying, oh, well, this is clearly because United re-entered the market and, you know, it, their 763s are so much better. I don't really think that's the case. I think it was maybe the nail in the, in, in the coffin. Um, I think they've been struggling on these routes for a while. And I, and I think they struggle in San Francisco too, uh, to JFK. If, if you're a premium passenger, uh, the, you can fly Delta, American, JetBlue, all with a better product and near the same price. Um, between San Francisco and, and JFK. So I wouldn't be surprised if they just said we can't do San Francisco JFK either soon. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting. That one's going to be interesting to me. I, uh, there's a lot of competition there, and I don't think their costs aren't enough lower to justify anything else. Like why, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why, why, you know, either for them, you know, for their costs or the fares, neither one I think makes makes it a good enough market. At the same time, how do you be the fourth largest airline in the United States or fifth largest airline in the United States? Fourth, fifth, fifth. Uh, and not serve those transcom markets. Yeah. Right? And, yeah and, you have to. Yeah. And I, it comes back to kind of, again, is, the, the, sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I think it comes back to what is, what is your identity, right? As a, as a carrier, um, are you the, are, are you the hometown carrier of Seattle and, and Portland and Anchorage, or are you a, a, a big carrier that's supposedly serving, you know, a, a large chunk of the West coast? And are you a leisure carrier or are you catering to business travelers? Yeah, exactly. And for better or worse, I mean, honestly, at this point, the transcon market is still, the way that they're priced these days, it really appeals to both. <laughs> um, but there's there's a certain number of the business travelers or leisure travelers that are willing to pay a little bit of money for a real comfortable product. And right now, if they fly Alaska, they're paying that same amount of money for not as comfortable a product. And the point's going to only be so useful. And I mean, it's not, if, and it's not like Alaska has a better schedule or frequencies or anything either. Right? Well, they don't. And they don't have the loyalty built up, in my opinion, in some of these cities, right? And in LA and in San Francisco, I, I don't think they have the loyalty there um, because there's so in, there's there's other carriers that are so ingrained in both of those cities, right? Americans and, presence, and, yeah. And what little, not little, but yeah, you know, what little sort of brand loyalty version had built up? I feel like Alaska squandered in the merger. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I mean, I, I know, and, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not sure it was worth keeping and investing to keep, but I think they gave it away. Yeah, yeah, they didn't, they didn't go. It, it went quietly when it shouldn't have, right? Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I maybe, maybe they become. I mean, they've said they're not going to have a subfleet of planes, right? That do these transcons, right? Uh, so they can't compete on product uh, unless they undercut price for first class. Um, they can't compete on price either because they're they they currently don't. And it, it's, it's a sub, it's subpar. Like I'm not going to do a red eye on Alaska in a, 
upright seat when I can do it in a flat bed for the same price. Just not going to happen. Except you have to connect. Except I have to connect. I'm saying if I was if I was living in the LA or Bay Area. Oh yeah. Okay. Fair. Okay. Um, so uh, and even if I could if I could get a flat bed on Alaska and it was only out of San Francisco and LA, I would consider it. You know, I I'd consider the connection, but yeah. but that's not that's not the reality. So um, yeah. So the other thing is some some big news around airplanes uh, that isn't United. Uh, Lufthansa uh, is pulling some A three forty sixes out of the desert. Five, in fact. Uh, this is times. this is big news, right? Because these are the only planes that I think they'll have in service that have first class in them. I think they have some some four eight still flying, but so they're taking these five planes. They're going to base them in Munich, and they will be the only first class cabins flying out of Munich, starting with the summer twenty twenty two seasonal schedule. Wow! And the seven four eights will stay in Frankfurt, and those also have F. Um, so Frankfurt will have some 48 for first class trucks. And they basically said we're seeing increased demand and a rebound in some of the longer haul travel. We see, you know, they're forecasting with vaccinations and whatever else that this those markets are going to come back. And they're saying that they are they explicitly said we're seeing demand for first class cabin seats, which hmm. I guess I didn't find the first class seats on the 346 very nice. And that was a long time ago. And they haven't upgraded them as far as I know. So um, when, when did you last fly it? Oh, God. Uh Eight years? It's the gray seat with the... It's not the you're not talking about the bright blue seat. I have zero recollection of what color it was. Because um, the, the new F seats aren't bad. I mean, it's the same as what's on the 748, essentially. Okay, then, it probably, then I think it is a newer one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised that they're going to wait until 2022, actually. Like, well, I, uh, so I think northern winter is generally slower, especially in the transatlantic market. Yeah. And Germany's not reopened yet. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is, but... Only just, and I think the they missed the boat on a lot of the transatlantic uh, peak summer. Mm. So they're just like, so, we'll just wait till next next season and be yeah, ready. And, to and, I don't think, and I don't think they can get them and the pilots and the flight attendants and everything else back into service tomorrow. Right? They need to. It would take them some time to do that. So, do you uh, think that they will pull more more planes out of the desert as part of this? I mean, this. Do you think this is like, I guess the the beginning of that? I don't think so. They explicitly said that. The other 11 340s are definite, or 346s are definitely staying gone, already sold, whatever. Um, and then the other part of it is the potential for, um, for, well, it's not even potential, they've confirmed. There will, there will be first class seats on the next tranche of A350 900s that replace these 346s when that finally happens in 2023, 24-ish. So they're still gonna. I mean, they're still gonna, but they're still gonna have a contracted uh, fleet for yeah two two more years. Really, is what yeah. they're saying. Wow. Um, and, and I mean, and for some time thereafter, it's they're gonna be a smaller airline and try to regrow. Yeah. As opposed to sort of you know United that's basically didn't retire any of its wide bodies and thinks it'll have most of them back in service pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. And and I mean, not to to shove onto the next topic, but I mean, it kind of leads right into it because uh, Lufthansa is a big order orderer of the 77X, and that has gone through some certification issues. Yeah, if and when those ever are delivered. <laughs> uh, basically, uh, Boeing sort of submitted its, hi, we'd like you to start certifying these, please, message to the FAA. And the FAA was like, uh, but you know you guys haven't actually produced an airplane that flies safely yet, right? Like, what are we, what are we talking about? And so, I mean... In very specific, and I'm obviously that's just me making shit up, but um, in very specific details, Boeing highlighted that there was an uncontrolled pitch event um, in on December eighth, and we tracked down I tracked down the flight records of two of the planes. Or excuse me, the, the plane it had two flights. Um, 
there's one spot where it dropped 5,000 feet in a minute. Wow. Uh, or 3,000 feet in a minute that would seem unexpected because it very quickly went back up to the original height. Um, I'd like to believe that that was the event in question, but hard to say. Um, and Boeing's like, uh, you know, seems to have figured it out and thinks they have a fix for it, but it's, you know, software fixes and the FAA saying, okay, fine, you've got a software fix, but like, what else is this going to change and how do we know it really works? You can't just say, oh, we fixed it like you did with the Max, um, mm-hmm. essentially. And so we'll say Boeing is actually finally, or excuse me, FAA is finally sort of doing real certification queries on this stuff, but there was a point raised in the letter back about like, Oh, you say you're good to go on this, but EASA hasn't really approved it either and has told you they're not going to prove it this way. Are you sure you really want us to do that? Um, for one of the things, there's some really interesting bits in it. And I just, I am intrigued by all of this, but the, uh, the short version of that long story is now it seems terribly unlikely that this plane gets certified before mid 2023 at the earliest. And then deliveries start sometime thereafter, and maybe it enters commercial service in 2024. So we've delayed again. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I mean, I'll, I'll go back to your statement that it was a software fix. That's to me, that's more terrifying than if it was a hardware fix. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like I, I, it bothers me like that a lot of this stuff is software related, and it's not like oh well, you know, we've got wearing on some kind of pin in the tail. Like that's. That's fixable, right? We can yeah. figure out why there's more stress. But if it's a bug, now they've got to prove to us that the bug isn't there anymore and that the fix for the bug didn't create more bugs. It's uh, – as someone who's in software like yourself, um, I, I don't know. It makes me uneasy. Yeah. I mean, I agreed on pretty much every level. I'm trying to read through this letter here real quick while we're talking about it. Um, and the other part about this is that what Boeing has asked for is that it's a TIA. Um and I don't know what that actually acronym, uh, type inspection authorization readiness. And that basically means that Boeing wants the FAA to start flying along on some of these test flights. And the FAA is basically saying, uh, we don't think that's a good idea right now. Hmm. Um, incomplete DAR activities. Um, so development assurance readiness is incomplete so far. Um, lack of available preliminary safety assessment, lack of data to support airplane, le- airplane level assessment. Um, lack of sufficient data and artifacts to provide the FAA confidence in the ability to collect valid test data for CFTPs that are planned to be conducted in this phase TIA and their rel- and their relation to immaturity of the CCS. And clearly there's a lot of acronyms in here that mean things, but let's hmm. assume that they're right. Boeing has, here's the one I was on. Boeing has advised the FAA that there's an upcoming major software update with the software load of flight control 64X and 65X. The FAA understands that there are many significant problem report items that will be addressed by that version of the software load, including the software fix for the uncommanded pitch event that occurred on December 8th. In addition, software load dates are continuously sliding, and the FAA needs better visibility into the causes of the delays. The next line, after the uncommanded pitch event, the FAA is yet to see how Boeing fully implements all the corrective actions identified by the root cause investigation, including system requirement development and tracing, robust verification process, supplier communication, systems integration validation and verification, and airplane level verification to ensure that the quote-unquote maturity and safety airworthiness of this aircraft. We are expecting Boeing to complete comprehensive validation verification reviews and document the process improvements and lessons learned identified by the root cause investigations and implement a robust process so similar escape will not happen in the future and this is not a systemic issue. This hmm. is basically the FAA saying we don't think you've really figured it out. Or yeah. if you have, you haven't written you haven't written it down yet. Show your work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really like, I, I wonder too, like is the FAA, I'm sure they are at some level, prepa- like 
are they able to debug code? Are they able to, you know, can Boeing give them the code in confidence and say, this is what we did? I have to believe so. I would hope so. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's, that's almost sounds like what they're asking for is like, we want to do a code review on your, your system and what, what, you know, you changed and Boeing hasn't yeah. given that information yet. Nope. Yeah. So that's, wow. a, that's a super weird, that's a, I mean, it's damning in many ways, but just to the fact that Boeing and I get, I sort of get why they're doing it, but to like keep pushing forward on, no, we're, we're ready to start certification work. We haven't really documented how we fix the, the whole thing where it like tries to crash sometimes, but we're ready to start certifying it. Mm-hmm. Seems an interesting position for a company given its recent new aircraft certification record, right? None of the last three types introduced, the, the 787, 737 MAX, and now this, uh, have been without issue. So, it's uh, how, like, how does, like, how did the executive, how does the board let that request go in? How does senior management say, oh, yeah, let's go ahead and submit this. We think it'll be okay and no one will know this. Yeah, yeah just go ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we'll, like, we'll so you're, five years, you're five years late, but at this point, it's just nuts. Yeah, I agree. Crazy. Oh, man. A lot going on. Yes, sir. Um, I think that's a show. What do you think? Uh, yeah, we're definitely running out of time. Yeah, and we're not gonna we're not gonna do a bonus episode. We just we we just this came up and we decided we'd do a show. So uh, to our Patreon subscribers, we we do appreciate your support. Just uh, wanted to give everyone the 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 info this time, and so um, that's what we're what we're doing. Um, but yeah, if you are a listener or a, a Patreon subscriber, thank you. Uh, if you have questions or comments, uh, you can tweet us. You can send us an email. Uh, we, we'd love to hear from you. Um, but until next time, happy travels. Bye bye. Take care.